We just sang hallelujah several times. And that word simply means praise Yahweh. And we praise Him as our Father for all that He has done in sending His Son so that we might receive the forgiveness of our sins. Please open your scriptures to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we've gone halfway through this first chapter, and we're going to finish the second half of Matthew 6. This is part of what we call Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Okay, it's one sermon. We're taking several weeks to preach on a sermon. And the reason we're doing that is so we take it in small pieces to focus, to understand, to meditate, and apply. Let me just ask you a question as we begin this morning. Uh, what are two, the two or three most pressing concerns on you right now? And by the way, I'm not going to turn this and beat you up about those later. But what are they? Some of you in here wake up at two or three in the morning with that particular concern. What is it that you feel crushes you? Because this morning in this text, Jesus is going to address that. And he's going to do so illustratively. He's going to actually sort of tease out your anxieties. And then he's going to address them as children of the Heavenly Father. Matthew chapter 6 is about motives. We saw that early on. When you give when you pray, when you fast, do so in secret. That doesn't eliminate any public gathering or public worship, but what Jesus is putting a check on is on our motives. So when you do this, he says this, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the theatrical professionals. Let your motives be pure and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Chapter 6 is about motives, masters, and anxiety. Here's the truth. Either the mastery of God is shaping your life right now, or the mastery of wealth, or any kind of riches or treasure. It may be your own persona that you want to cast to the public is consuming you and shaping you right now. There are, there are one of two masters. Everyone has a motive for why they do what they do, and everyone serves someone or something. That's what we call worship. Everyone in the last seven days ascribed worth to something, woke up and pursued that something, and is living for that someone or something right now. If you choose the wrong master... Your life will be defined by anxiety because that is what a harsh slavery creates. If you choose the right master, your life will be free, even carefree, as you'll see the meaning of the word anxiety or the sort of the opposition of that word. And you will be free to live and give generously. Here's what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching us that relationship changes everything. Matter of fact, when Sean taught through the Lord's Prayer, which is the disciples' prayer, he says, when you pray, you pray like this. And how do we address God? Our Father in heaven. 
Relationship changes everything. And this is what relationship, a genuine relationship with God does. It prevents our religious practices, praying, giving, fasting, from being merely hypocritical like the religious formalists, the Pharisees. And also, as his children, we are different from the materialistic, sensual, irreligious, like the Gentiles, which is a term that is used for unbelievers. Here's how this section that we're going to look at this morning unfolds. There are two treasures, earthly or heavenly. There are two spiritual perceptions, darkness or light. There are two masters, either God or wealth. And there are two emotional results, either being anxious or being carefree. These are the alternatives that Jesus puts forward to us. There is no third option. There is no middle ground. So let's look at this. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, two treasures. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The point is simple. All treasure has a certain worth, quality, and durability. But not all treasure is the same. Treasure on earth is corruptible. Moth and rust decay it, destroy it, lessen the quality, lessen the durability. Treasure in heaven is incorruptible. There is no moth or rust that destroys. Treasure on earth is insecure. Thieves can break in and steal. The stock market can crash. That car can be totaled. But treasure in heaven is secure where thieves do not break in and steal. But it's important for us to understand what Jesus is teaching when he says, do not lay up treasures on earth. What is it that he's actually forbidding? Perhaps the best place to begin is by explaining what he is not forbidding so that we don't become sort of this hyper applicationists and sort of recluse ourselves. First, there is no scriptural prohibition on possessions themselves. Scripture nowhere forbids owning property and it nowhere celebrates physical poverty. Even in the early church, and you'll remember this story in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of property and they lie about it to the church, to the Holy Spirit. Then they they fall down dead within close proximity to each other. The sin was not that they owned property. I hope we understand this. Matter of fact, the Apostle Peter clearly states this in Acts chapter five, verse four. While it remained unsold. Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? The sin was not that they owned property or that they sold the property. The sin was a defiant deception before God. Second, saving, investing, and insurance are not forbidden. I want us to be clear on this. Proverbs chapter 6 commends the ant for storing in the summer the food that it will use in the winter. 1 Timothy 5.8 teaches 
that a person, a believer who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Jesus is not forbidding saving, careful preparation or wise stewardship. Third, we are not to despise, but rather to enjoy the good things God has given to us. It's not a it's not a prohibition against the enjoyment of God's good gifts. If you fail to understand this, just go back and review or listen to our recent sermon series through the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's an example. Ecclesiastes chapter two, verse twenty four. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Fourth, there is no prohibition against being rich. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were men blessed by God with material wealth. It is estimated that King Solomon's peak net worth was approximately $2 trillion. Other rich leaders came to see his wealth. Luke 8.3 records that women supported Jesus' ministry on earth out of their means. These seemed to be women who had material means. After Jesus died on a cross, wealthy and well-connected men asked for his body and buried it at their own expense. So neither having possessions, nor making provision for the future, nor enjoying the gifts of a good creator, nor being in the classification of the rich are included in the prohibition against earthly treasure storage. So what does Jesus mean by what he says? Verse 21 is your answer. Look at chapter 6, verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is a matter of love. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. It says that the Pharisees, because they loved money, ridiculed Jesus. It's a matter of love and affection and loyalty. Those who follow Jesus can possess things, but those who follow Jesus must be careful not to be possessed by things. A true, genuine Jesus follower will avoid the love and the stockpiling and the selfish selfish fixation of wealth. So here's the choice. We are either mastered by money and therefore deny God or use God like a genie in a bottle or a celestial Santa Claus. Or we are mastered by God and make money a servant for God's kingdom. John Stott is helpful in answering what does Jesus mean by this? He says this. What Jesus forbids is the selfish accumulation of wealth, extravagant and luxurious living, the hard heartedness which does not feel the colossal need of the world's underprivileged people, the foolish fantasy that a person's life consists in the abundance of his possessions and the materialism which tethers our heart to the earth. Basically, it's a matter of the heart. What do you wake up thinking about? What do you move through the day living for? What are you most excited about? What do you talk about? What are you consumed with? Several of Jesus' teachings shed light on what treasure in heaven looked like. For example, Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this, Fear not, little flock. He's talking to believers. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. 
Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Open-handed, generous-hearted, sacrificial and joyful giving. This may translate to a cash gift or time spent with someone or a simple and pure kindness to a child. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells us to give to those who can't pay us back. That's what treasure in heaven looks like. He says this, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Why? Jesus answered, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That's what laying up treasure in heaven looks like. Open-handed, generous-hearted, sacrificial, and joyful. Even seemingly acts of service that go totally unnoticed and that seem completely underwhelming will be rewarded by God. Jesus says this, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. You know, in order to live like this, it takes a certain kind of perception or outlook. And that brings us from two treasures to two spiritual perceptions. Look at verse 22. This is a question of vision. People who see clearly are set free to give. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The metaphor is clear. He's talking about a contrast between spiritually blind people and spiritually sighted people. Between healthy eyesight and poor eyesight. The seeing of the body directs the body. This is metaphorical when Jesus talks about the eyes or eyesight, he is often talking about our heart. One example of that is found in Psalm 119, where heart and eyes are used interchangeably. Listen to this. The psalmist says this, With my whole heart I seek you. A few verses later in verse 15, he says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Your, your heart has eyes. There's a spiritual dimension to how we see life. Jesus made this connection earlier in this Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. And do you know what happens when you see God? When you are pure in heart and you see God for who He is, you begin to see others for how God sees them. If our aim is material gain only, if our aim is our own comfort only, our own advancement how great is the darkness of our heart. Either God is the master or wealth is the master. One brings light, the other brings darkness. And that's exactly the point Jesus makes next as he moves into two masters. It's a question of worth or worship. What am I ascribing worth to? Look at chapter 6, verse 24. Remember, this is just kind of one thought he's moving through. No one can serve two masters. See, because this is what's going to happen when he comes through this two treasures 
And then he talks about these two spiritual perceptions. We're going to argue that, no, I think I found a way to do both. I can actually serve God on Sunday and serve wealth Monday through Friday. Or I can serve God with my lips, but actually in my heart I can serve wealth. Jesus Jesus is going to counter all those compromises and objections and say this. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Some translations use the older word mammon. It's an Aramaic word that means wealth or material things. Jesus identified wealth as the other great master besides God. So this is what he's saying. There's something about God and wealth that bring a mastery over a person. And he states it's not an improbability, but an impossibility to serve both. The words serve and masters are taken from the world of slavery. It's the picture of a slave and a slave owner. You know, it's possible for a person to serve two employers. But a slave cannot be the property of two different owners. Single ownership and lifetime service are the essence of slavery. So what do you value most? Since you can't serve both, who do you really ascribe worth to? Because it's possible to serve wealth. And socially, we know that's not right especially in our sort of socially evangelical orbit. So we come and we give and we announce that giving so that others see, no, my real God, my real God is God of heaven. So anything we give actually becomes a sort of guilt offering to try to offset who our real God is, which is wealth. So it goes back to master and motive. So that's why he says, when you give, don't blow a trumpet before you. Don't announce what you're doing. No, you give in secret. You don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. What do we value most? Do you know the tension in the battle is a real one? This is a real conflict. That's why Jesus graciously identifies the two competing masters for your heart. Wealth or God. And you know what happens if either one tries to demand mastery over us? So if I'm actually serving wealth and somebody speaks truth into my life and says, you know, I really think you're distracted and and you're serving some kind of wealth or self-advancement, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to despise that person. In my heart, I will hate them for shedding light onto the darkness of my own heart. Jesus says this, you will either... Love the one or hate the other, or you will cling to the one and despise the other. Do you know that we reveal our enslavement to a material master by an ambition to have more than we need? We reveal our enslavement to a material master by our anxiety over life's necessities. But here's the point. If we have valued the right treasure, chosen the right spiritual perception, and served the right master, then we of all people should not be anxious about anything. 
that moves us. And this, by the way, is going to help reveal who my master is. And it brings us to the final portion of chapter 6, which is really two choices. Look at verse 25. And he, and he starts to move through this. So if wealth is my master, my life will ultimately be filled with anxiety. That's a choice many people make. Wealth is a great servant, but it is a horrible taskmaster. It rules by fear and is extremely demanding. In this section, I want, I want you to just notice sort of the, the structure and the words that Jesus uses. He's going to say, therefore, three different times. Sometimes this passage is read in isolation without all the previous material. And we misunderstand that passage. And so we sort of get caught in, you know, about the birds of the air and the, the lilies of the field and sort of the sentimental, oh, you know, this is so wonderful. And it is wonderful. But the point Jesus is making is to, to encourage those who have chosen the right wealth, the right treasure, and the right master, and the right perception, and saying, therefore, if this is true of you, therefore, and therefore. The big idea is highlighted by the repetition of the word anxious. Jesus used the word six times. Anxiety reveals ownership. Or we go back to a word used in the text, mastery. Three times Jesus uses this entire phrase, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. The Greek word translated do not be anxious or take no thought means without care, without worry, without thought. In Africa, we... Our African friends, if they noticed somebody was discouraged or depressed or anxious, they would say, you're thinking too much. It's not that they're against thinking. They're, they're very clear and clever thinkers. What they're saying is you are giving more thought to this than you should. You're thinking too much. What does Jesus have to say about, about anxiety? Let's just begin in verse 25. This is what he says. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Satisfaction is more than a new house or a shiny car or that next promotion. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? The body more than clothing. Jesus isn't really talking about menus or grocery lists or fashion. What he is saying is that at the bottom, the bottom line is you are more than a physical being. You have a soul that will live forever somewhere. And in Christ, as we've been singing about this morning, in Christ, you are immortal that's why Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 4, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. What a glimpse of grace because at that point you are with the Lord forever in eternity. Life is more than success, a car, a spouse, or anything else you're anxious about right now. Secondly, Jesus says this in verse 26. He invites us, he's 
He's outside teaching and probably some birds are flying. And he says, look at the birds of the air. This is the point Jesus is going to make. Secondly, if God cares for birds, how much more will he care for his children? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. And then two times he uses this this type of argument. Are you not of more value than they? And the obvious answer to that question is what? Yes. You are of more value. First Peter five says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Listen to what he says next, because because humility is connected to this next part, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You know, that proud people are anxious people. Why? Because they believe they can control everything within their sphere of life and refuse to humble themselves to the only one who can control everything in their sphere of life. The third thing he says basically is this. Maybe you can fill in the blank. Anxiety changes. Not everything. Basically, nothing. And that's partially true because it can spoil your day. Your anxious heart can spoil relationships you have with other people. And your anxiety can truly undo your health. So in one true sense, anxiety changes nothing. In a very true sense, anxiety actually affects a lot. But this is what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? The phrase here can either mean add to your height or add to your years. It's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, if I could add another inch to my height, I'd be 6'4", and I can't do that. (laughs) Right? It's impossible. I'm always going to be 6'3". Right? You understand that? I just can't add to my height. It's silly. Do you know, though, that God, between us being a child and an adult, adds more than a foot and a half? That's sort of the measurement that is used here. He adds three, four, five feet to our life. And you know only God can do that? It may mean adding to our height. It also could mean adding to our years. To add a period of time to our lifespan, though, is also outside of our ability. I cannot add another day to what God has determined are my bookends. Do you know far from lengthening your life, worry and anxiety and fear may well shorten it? So leave the matters of height and lifespan to God and leave all the tinier matters in between to God as well. This is another thing he says. The lilies and grass are cared for even though they are temporal. You are eternal. How much more will God care for you? Look at verse 28. Consider the lilies of the field. Again, he's sitting there. It's an outdoor sermon. He's on the mountain. He's already drawn attention to the birds and how much more value you are than the birds. Now, these are probably the wildflowers that are growing up there uh, near the Sea of Galilee. And he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, there's that temporal nature. Here's this, this second from lesser to greater argument. Will he not much more clothe you? Let me ask you, do you believe that? That God cares for you as his child more than the birds of the air. Do you believe that? That God cares for you as, his, as an eternal soul more than He cares for the temporary lilies of the field and the grass, which He cares for. But He cares for you greater. And when we fail to believe that, Jesus says He's not rebuking us. There's not a strong tone here. Oh, you of little faith. It is a failure of belief that we wake up with fear and anxiety over real concerns over real-life problems. Here's the truth that Jesus will apply to that. Oh, you of little faith. Here's the truth He's going to press in. Look at verse 31. Therefore, because of these birds and your Father's care, because of these lilies and your Father's care, a greater care for you, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Or who will I marry? Or what will I do in life? Or how will this turn out for the better? That's not, I added. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And here's the truth. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your Heavenly Father already knows what you need. Therefore, Pray to Him in secret and address Him as your Father. Two more things. God will supply everything you need. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't live life focused on what you don't have. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Seek God first in His kingdom. And be reminded of Psalm 37 verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's your focus. His kingdom. His righteousness. Not down here on, oh, they have that, I don't. Oh, they were promoted, I wasn't. Oh, they're getting attention, I'm not. Oh, everything works out for them, it never works out for me. Do you know that spoils life? That's anxiety. You may call it fear or concern or a burden. It's anxiety. Delight yourself in the Lord. There's that vertical perspective and He will give you the desires of your heart. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things. What things? Food, drink, and clothes will be given to you. Why? He already knows you need them. And your Father knows what's best for you. Finally, Jesus says this. Trust God today. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is not suggesting that we don't plan ahead or that we don't confront the problems that come into our life or that we ignore whatever concerns do arise. Rather, he expects us in this day, not tomorrow, in this day to look to him in dependence. Praying for genuine needs. Father, give us this day our daily bread. Praying for His kingdom. 
Father, Your kingdom come and Your will be done. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul instructs us with these words, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you serving the wrong master today or are you truly serving the Heavenly Father? Are you restless today? Are you overcome by anxiety? Were you so downcast this morning you just wanted to roll over? Not just mere tired. There's, you know, there's a, there's a tiredness that sleep does not resolve. It is a soul weariness. Are you serving the right master? Are you casting that on him? Are you giving a great deal of thought to things you were never meant to change? You cannot change the heart of a wayward loved one. You cannot change all the evils in the world. But you can cast your anxieties on the Lord because He cares for you. Five chapters later in Matthew 11, and we'll close with this, Jesus will say this, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me. That's a mastery. This is, this is something they would put over an ox to control and steer it. He's not moving away from the terms of mastery, but he, he invites you, don't take the world's yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen to what he says. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I'm going to invite our worship team forward. As they get ready to lead us in a hymn of response before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want us to have this in our mind. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Listen to what He says. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? You know, this remembrance this morning is a picture of the Gospel. There is no other way to receive the forgiveness of sins except through Christ's broken body and His shed blood. But God, who did not spare His own Son, how will He not also give you everything else you need? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Let us remember the infinitely valuable body and blood of Jesus Christ broken for us this morning.